Drew Timmy led Gonzaga to their eighth straight Sweet 16 appearance, and he made it clear after the game that he was not going to be the one to it up. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Another season, my friends, that ends at the very least with Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. They have done it for the eighth straight year after defeating TCU on Sunday evening in Denver, Colorado. What a game, an emotional game. I know everybody else was really feeling this one. Gonzaga got down early, down by as many as 10 in the first half. And so many of those things that we have seen from Gonzaga throughout the year that were concerning. There was some turnover issues early in the game. There was inability to get Drew Timmy the basketball. So instead settling for deep outside shots that were not going down. There was issues defensively where we were a step slow rotating, allowing open three-point shooters, issues defensively where Mike Miles Jr. was able to get into the paint and score relatively easy around the rim because of lack of rim protection. Like We were seeing a lot of the things that plagued Gonzaga in November, that plagued Gonzaga at times in December, that plagued Gonzaga early in the WCC slate and the loss to LMU and the narrow wins over USF and BYU and Santa Clara. And of course, we had kind of stopped seeing a lot of that stuff in the last few weeks of the season, the the win over St. Mary's, the run through the WCC tournament, the last few weeks of the regular season, Gonzaga had had tightened up defensively. Uh, Julian Strother and Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith had kind of given Gonzaga more offensive weapons outside of just Drew Timmy. Anton Watson's emergence has been going throughout the season, but really kind of turned into a different gear uh, in those last few weeks of the regular season. And so it was kind of jarring to see Gonzaga sort of almost revert back to some of the stuff we saw early in the season. And, and certainly competition level does play a role here. TCU is a more athletic team than many of the teams Gonzaga played. Uh, all of the teams really that Gonzaga played in the WCC St. Mary's is, is a, is a really, really good team. And I think better than TCU, but they don't play as Gonzaga was more familiar with their style, more familiar with what they were going to do, which helped them be more prepared. I think in this game, you saw Gonzaga kind of, struggle with some of the things that TCU was trying to do. But then in the second half, Mark Few made some incredible halftime adjustments. This team came out more fired up. And I think the easy narrative for this game, and it's not an untrue narrative, but the easy narrative for this game is Drew Timmy willed this team to victory in the second half. And it kind of mirrors what happened last year in Portland when the Zags played Memphis and they were down, I think, 10 or 11 at halftime in that game. And Drew Timmy basically erased that deficit in the first five minutes of the second half and the Zags kind of cruised from there. But in this game, I think a lot of the adjustments that Gonzaga made that really impacted them were were on the defensive end of the floor and just figuring out better ways to prevent TCU from getting open looks, uh, stifling them. Uh, doing forcing turnovers, doing stuff like that. And, and then Gonzaga kind of beat them at their own game. One of my favorite facts from this game is the fact that TCU is number one nationally in the country in fast break points coming into this game, 17 and a half per game. Mark Few talked about it in the little media timeout where they talked to reporters. He talked about it before halftime. We need to stop them in transition. We need to get back on defense. We need to prevent them from getting those easy buckets in transition because that's going to kill us. 
Well, here's the deal. Gonzaga had 24 fast break points in this game. TCU had 10. There's a huge difference maker for you right there in a three-point game that was basically a six-point game until that final shot. By the way, bad beat right there for anybody bet TCU or Gonzaga by four that TCU hit a three with the closing seconds to uh, end that potential betting there, whatever. Um, But yeah, this was a situation where Gonzaga was able to make those adjustments, do things differently in the second half, stifle TCU's ability to get out and transition, frustrate them in the half court. And yeah, offensively, it really was the Drew Timmy show and there was kind of no other way for this to happen for Gonzaga. He was, he was a machine in this game, 28 points for him, 12 of 21 shooting. You knew it was over. And I don't, I know you all watched the game and you know, you knew it too. You knew it was over when Drew Timmy hesitated, stepped back, crossover dribble, pulled up from three and drilled it. That's when we knew, okay, this it's, it's over. That went from a three point lead to a six point lead. There was still like six or seven minutes left in the game, but you could feel the energy shift as soon as Drew Timmy hit that shot. Mark Few mentioned it after the game. He said, uh, Drew still wasn't supposed to take that shot. (laughs) I don't know how the offensive game plan would be for Drew Timmy to take a between-the-legs, step-back, pull-up three-pointer. But, hey, three points went on the board, and Gonzaga needed every single one of them in order to secure the victory here. I referenced it in the cold open there at the beginning of the show, but, of course, Drew Timmy – uh, was unable to censor himself once again when speaking to reporters post-game, uh, talking about the streak of sweet, uh, eight straight Sweet 16s. Drew Timmy said that we do not want to be, be the team to F it up, uh, talking to 80 Cats on TV after the game. I hope Drew never changes. I have a feeling he won't. Uh, an absolutely iconic figure in Gonzaga basketball history, an authentically true-to-himself basketball player. It was so fun to see him do what he did on the court, say what he said, after the game, he also acknowledged some comments made by TCU players before the game, basically saying, oh, you know, he's got good footwork, but we've seen players with as good a footwork as him throughout the Big 12, and we've defended them just fine. And, you know, they're 0-2 against the Big 12 this year. Like comments that I don't think were were that bad, but I understand why they riled people up, and I certainly understand why they riled Drew up. They should have. Uh, and he acknowledged him after the game. He made a joke. He said, I thought TCU was a smart school, but those are some pretty dumb comments, which is classic Drew. You know, people are going to be frustrated by that. People are going to make him the villain from those statements. But he took disrespect from them saying disrespectful things about them, and he went out there and beat them. What else do you want the man to do? Like That's exactly what he should have done in that situation. I want to shout out Mike Miles Jr. Fantastic game for him from TCU, 24 points. On 8 of 13 shooting, Gonzaga is going to face guards who are very, very good. I'm not sure if they're going to face a guard as good as him until they get potentially all the way through into the final four. Maybe they would see somebody then at that point. But Mike Miles, really, really nice game for him. The Zags, eight straight Sweet 16s. To be clear on how rare this is, it's happened two other times in the modern era. Them On the modern era, excuse me. One of them, North Carolina, 1985 to 1993. One of them, Duke, 1998 to 2006. And then, of course, now Gonzaga, 2015 to now. The seeds are very fun for these two. For Gonzaga, the seeds are a 2, an 11, a 1, a 4, a 1, a 1, a 1, and a 3. And that time, they have made two Final Fours. For North Carolina, 2 seed, 3 seed, 1 seed, 2 seed, 2 seed, 8 seed, 1 seed, 4 seed, 1 seed. They have also made two Final Fours. It's hard to make a Final Four, folks. It's not easy to do, even if you have a lot of high seeds. And then for Duke, just an obscene run that Duke had at the turn of the century, 98 through 2006. Again, here are their seeds. One, 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 three, one, one, one. 
And they, despite that, only made three Final Fours in that group. Hard to make Final Fours. That's the main story here. Gonzaga's got a chance to do so. They're going to take on a UCLA team on Thursday, 17 years to the day from the infamous Adam Morrison crying game. The Zags are going to take on UCLA for a spot in the, in the Elite Eight. It's in Las Vegas. We're going to talk more about this matchup. But first, today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by Built Bar. The Built Bar March Madness bracket is here. We know that you have a favorite bar or puff, and now is your time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know that I'll be voting for the Churro Bar, and if you want your favorite team to win, then you're going to be voting for that bar too. Support your team, support your bar or puff, and when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you will be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You have got to try Built, the best protein bar ever. Seriously, they are so good for you, you will not think they are healthy. What makes Built bars and puffs so good? Well, for starters, they're high in protein, they're low in sugar, and... They are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. So run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff. And while you're there, pick up a box and you can vote every day in March. Every day. So hop in and support your pick. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zags. Switching over from recapping the TCU game and celebrating Gonzaga's eighth straight appearance in the Sweet 16 to talk about who they're playing in the Sweet 16. And it's the Bruins, Mick Cronin's UCLA team. We are starting somewhat of a West Coast rivalry here with the Bruins. It's always kind of been Bruin, uh, for, for lack of a better term there, uh, obviously since 2006, and, and that's kind of the the conversation that has been brought up a handful of times because this game on the 23rd of March at 5.40 p.m. Pacific time in Las Vegas, 17 years to the day. From March 23rd, 2006, Gonzaga had a 17-point lead late in that game. Of course, UCLA made the tremendous comeback, pulled off the victory, defeated the Zags. Adam Morrison fell to the floor, tears in his eyes. It has been a common sight in March Madness videos, in conversations. It has been a common poster that we have seen opposing fans bring to games. Uh, I think ostensibly to remind us of, hey, one time when you lost a long time ago. I don't know. I don't know if I get it. But hey, we've seen them at every single basketball game on the road that I can remember watching. When they show the crowd, you always see somebody with an Adam Morrison video. Uh, and, and Gonzaga has already exacted their revenge. They played UCLA in some regular season games, some non-conference games, beat them in those situations. And then, of course, the real revenge, the true revenge in 2021, 93 to 90, closing seconds, or excuse me, 92 to 90. Jaime Jaquez, not Johnny Juzang. We're going to get the, we're going to get the facts right of this story. Johnny Juzang misses a lay in, grabs his own rebound, scores, ties the ball game with just two seconds left, inbounded to Jalen Suggs. He takes a couple dribbles, gets one step past half court, pulls up, bang, drills it, sends the Zags to the national championship game. That was in the final four. One of the most epic shots in college basketball history, the most epic shot in Gonzaga basketball history with apologies to Casey Calvary, with apologies to Jordan Matthews, with apologies to Dimitri Goodson, all elite shots. Ranking them is a difficult task. Perhaps we'll get to the offseason. I think it's hard to rank anything above Casey Calvary and the runner simply because Gonzaga is probably not here at all without that shot. But 
I don't know if you can you can take away from a 37 foot bank shot to send a team to the national championship game. That is some pretty darn epic stuff from Jalen Suggs. And like I said, it's setting up this fun rivalry between UCLA and Gonzaga, the two premier teams on the West Coast. With apologies to Tommy Lloyd in Arizona, they didn't get it done this year. They lost to a 15 seed in Princeton. We can talk more about that perhaps at another time, but I don't I think I'm hoping that it quiets the people who are concerned that Tommy like kind of took all the magic when he left. And I don't want to say that in any way disparaging towards Tommy Lloyd. He's a fantastic coach. There's a reason that he had the most wins through the first two seasons of a first year head coach in college basketball history. And it's not just because of the roster that he inherited from Sean Miller. He brought in good players. He put the pieces together. He made good additions in the transfer portal and he coached his butt off to get that team to win 60 games, but it's hard to win in March. And something that Gonzaga has not done since 2008, losing the first round of the NCAA tournament, something they haven't done since 2015, not make the Sweet 16. And that's that's where we're at with Tommy Lloyd's team. I mean, they, they lost to Princeton here. And, and so you look at the West Coast, you look at the premier teams out here. San Diego State is still hanging around. That's really great for them. Uh, good to kind of help the concerns about the Mountain West, uh, seeing the, the conference struggle so much in March, had kind of given them a pretty bad rap. And uh, San Diego State has quieted that by making it to the Sweet 16. Uh, but UCLA and Gonzaga. They're the teams on the West Coast. Can we get them again? Winner of that game gets a chance to play UConn, who advanced past St. Mary's. And, well, excuse me, it'll be UConn or Arkansas. UConn will play Arkansas. Arkansas, the eight seed who defeated Kansas in that region. I suspect UConn will advance, but I'm not going to take anything away from that Arkansas team that is very, very good. It was a preseason top 10 team. You don't see a lot of eight seeds that had that kind of uh, momentum heading into the season. So we'll see if, if Arkansas can pull off an upset there. But for Gonzaga, this, is, this sets up a nice matchup with the UCLA team that they're good. They're very good. And they absolutely roasted UNC Asheville in their first game. That was a 15 seed on that side. They also beat Northwestern in their second game. They were up 10 at half against Northwestern, the seventh seed in that region. They ended up only winning by five. Northwestern kind of just hung around. It never really felt like they seriously challenged UCLA in terms of coming back and potentially winning. They just never really went away. And shout out to UCLA for continuing to kind of absorb the punches from them. They'd get a little bit of momentum and UCLA would get a stop, get a shot, uh, kind of build the lead back up. It, it would creep down to seven or five or four. And then UCLA would kind of build it back up to eight or nine. And it kind of just felt like that was the way that UCLA kept them at bay throughout the game. Jaime Jaquez had 24 in that one, 11 of 19 shooting. Tiger Campbell, 12 points and seven assists. All 12 of his points came from the free throw line in that one. He was 0 of 5 from deep. And that is one of UCLA's concerns, I suppose. They, they don't have a lot of outside shooting. They don't have a lot of consistent outside shooting. They attack you by getting to the rim. Jaime Hawkes is an incredible finisher around the rim. He's got an elite mid-range game. Amari Bailey is a hell raiser with the basketball in his hands. He's a young freshman. He just gets going to the basket. He's very acrobatic. He's thrown down some highlight reel dunks, uh, really crafty at getting his body aligned in a way to get a lay-in and a foul. They're going to attack the rim relentlessly. Not a great matchup for Gonzaga in that regard. Gonzaga does not have the rim protection to stop them, but UCLA is not necessarily going to beat Gonzaga from three either. So it's going to be a, an offensive battle. Now, part of the, the, the scare there as well is that UCLA is the second best defensive team in the entire country, according to Ken Palm. The only team ahead of them in Ken Palm's defensive ratings is Tennessee, who just beat Duke and is advancing to the Sweet 16 as well. UCLA also has the top 25 offense in the country. They're 21st. This is a good, good team, but they are missing Jalen Clark, the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, a candidate still for the overall Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. He's out. 
He was out for the entire Pac-12 tournament. He's out for the NCAA tournament. He's not returning this year. UCLA has not lost a game since he went out. So something to note there for the Bruins, but still, I think worth noting for UCLA to not have Jalen Clark. Adem Bona missed some games as well. He was back for the Northwestern game. He's a star freshman for them. Shot blocker, rim protector, enforcer around the basket. A player that would be a big bummer for them to not have would be an advantage for Gonzaga if they were missing their best post-defensive player. But by all accounts, he is going to play. I don't know if he's going to be 100% necessarily, but I think he's going to be out on the floor. And then David Singleton, another one of their depth options, the player who kind of stepped into the starting role after Jalen Clark's injury, he appeared to very seriously hurt his ankle towards the end of the Northwestern game. The, the announcers were like, don't show it again, don't show it again. Like They made a really big deal about this, but the reports we've heard since then are that he is fine and that it was just a rolled ankle, and that he's going to be okay. So that is a storyline to keep an eye on. The expectation is that he is fine, and that he's with some tape and some 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 ice and everything for the next couple of days, he's going to be fine to be able to play on Thursday. But it is worth keeping an eye on, because if he's limited at all, without Jalen Clark, with a limited David Singleton, the depth is going to potentially be an issue for UCLA. So that's a big storyline to keep an eye on. Look, we're going to talk a lot more about this UCLA matchup in the coming episodes. We'll talk about it Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday because that's the biggest story right now going on for Gonzaga Hoops, uh, of course, is the upcoming matchup with the Bruins. Uh, but we do want to close out today's show talking about the ladies' Zags because the ladies' Zags unfortunately lost their first round game in the NCAA tournament to Ole Miss. Uh, and then they had to watch as Ole Miss went ahead and upset Stanford, the number one seed in the region at Stanford. Ole Miss pulled off a stunner in that upset there. The Zags have to be sitting around and wondering, could we have done the same? More on that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The NCAA tournament is here and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. We haven't seen lines yet for Gonzaga and UCLA, but certainly worth checking out what those are. Or if you want to combine with NBA bets, keep betting on DeMontis Sabonis and Zach Collins to putting up those elite numbers for Sacramento and San Antonio, respectively. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on Zag. Switching over to talk about Lisa Fortier's squad and their first round exit in the 2023 NCAA tournament. They were taking on Ole Miss, the fourth place team in the SEC, a team that went 24 and 8 in the regular season as a nine seed for Gonzaga and eight seed for Ole Miss. They are playing at Stanford with the opportunity for the winner to play Stanford in the second round. And the ladies eggs didn't have a good game. There's not really any other way to sugarcoat what happened here. They got spanked around pretty aggressively by Ole Miss here. 71 to 48 was the score. GU couldn't hit an outside shot. And they relied aggressively on the outside shot all game long or all season long, I should say. Excuse me. This was the biggest part of their offense. Brenna Maxwell was one of the best three-point shooters in the entire country, shot over 50% in the regular season. She went one from 10 
in the field and 0 of 5 from deep in this game, finished with four points. The Trung twins, Kaylin Trung, who won the WCC Player of the Year, she and her sister, the Trung twins, combined to go 3 of 18 from the field in this one. I think Kaylin went 1 of 9, Kaylee went 2 of 9. 1 of 6 from deep combined. Just not getting it done from beyond the arc. Bonnie Ejim was fantastic. She played. She had 19 points. She had eight rebounds. She's a post player, of course. She she was dominant down low. Got the buckets she needed to. Was the only source of. I mean, she scored almost half of Gonzaga's points in this game. The outside shooting just was not there. And when you rely on that, the way that 48 squad did this year, when it's not there, it's not there. And it's, you fail to score 50 points again. Ole Miss is a good squad, and they played a good defensive game here. But it was really tough to see Gonzaga not be able to do the things that they have done throughout the season from an offensive perspective. And it cost them a chance to a chance to play Stanford and, and potentially a chance to upset Stanford because guess what? Stanford looked real bad in their second-round game against Ole Miss. Now, part of that is Ole Miss's defense. defense. Uh, they did a good job. Again. I mean, they held, they held Gonzaga to 48 points. They held Stanford to 49 points. That's a really nice run for an eight-seed in Ole Miss to win two games, go to the Sweet 16, and give up less than 50 points in both of them, especially when one of them is against a high-level team like Stanford. Stanford shot under 33% from the field in that game against Ole Miss, two of seven from three. Again, Gonzaga shot one of 17. So right now Ole Miss has held the two teams they have played in the NCAA tournament to three of 24 shooting from beyond the arc. Focusing on the ladies' eggs, though, again, this is a tough loss for them. Uh, but they have some excitement already building for next year because they're basically bringing everybody back. There was an announcement uh, at senior night that basically everybody said, Brenda Maxwell said she's coming back. The Trunk Twins said they're coming back. Eliza Hollingsworth said that she is coming back. The expectation is that Vani Ejim, Yvonne Ejim is coming back. That brings back a huge chunk of Gonzaga's scoring, offense, defense, everything, everything that the, the Zags were successful with this past season is basically going to be back next year. And that's huge. Continuity is massive. I, I spoke with Lisa Fortier before the season, I think in July, uh, and we talked about how they'd had 10 seniors graduate in the last two years. And just having continuity on the roster was something that they were really struggling with and that they were still rebuilding. They were still finding success. They were still doing, you know, doing well in the WCC despite losing all those players. But now they get everybody back. They get to run it back with the same group, a group that was phenomenal throughout the year that, you know, probably deserved a higher seed than a nine seed that won almost all their games they had a blip against Santa Clara. And that was kind of it. And then, of course, the, the loss in the WCC championship game to Portland. So it'll be interesting to see how this impacts them. And I think a big part of this is going to be how the WCC looks without BYU. BYU was not great last year, but the WCC as a whole was pretty bad. And losing BYU is going to hurt. It's going to hurt. The WCC on the women's side right now, I mean, it's it's kind of what the WCC on the men's side looked like 15-plus years ago when there was really no competition for Gonzaga when Gonzaga would win the WCC and get an 11 seed or a 9 seed, which is what happened to the women's team here because the the conference isn't helping strengthen your schedule, your, your net ranking is lower, like all that stuff is impactful because the conference isn't that good. So for... For the women's team here, like they're they're going to bring everybody back. They're going to have a great team, but they have to challenge themselves in the non-conference. And I'm sure that Coach Fortier and her staff are thinking about that, and they're figuring out ways to do that because you got to play the toughest non-conference that you can in order to boost that net ranking, in order to avoid winning 30 games and getting a nine seed. Like that's the that's a bad draw for this women's program. And, I, and I'm hoping that they're going to figure out ways as as much as they can control, which is not that much. They can only control so much 
of this situation, but it'll be interesting to see if they can find a way to to put some high level games on their calendar early in the game in the, in the season. Hope that somebody in the WCC or somebody's in the WCC steps up and gives them some competition so that by the end of the season, when selection Sunday rolls around, they don't find themselves on that dreaded eight, nine line, despite having another really good year. All right. Well, that is going to do it for me today. Plenty more coming your way this week. We're going to talk a lot about Zags UCLA, the history of the relationship, the upcoming matchup, what the rest of the bracket looks like, how far Gonzaga could go, all of that stuff coming your way. Also, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast if you haven't done so yet. We're doing seven days a week right now, every day, covering all of the action, all of the transfer portal news, all of the coaching carousel stuff, every single thing going on in college basketball covered on Locked On College Basketball. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. Go hit that subscribe button there. Go hit that subscribe button to Locked On Zags. Leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us a comment on YouTube. Any of that stuff, it is very, very much appreciated as we are here in the busiest and most fun month for people who podcast about college basketball. I'm going to tell you that right now. We are having an absolute blast. All right. Thank you all for listening. Happy Sweet 16 and go Zags.